Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Pony Stampede Podcast. I'm Billy Embody. Thanks for listening as SMU is ready to kick off its AAC uh, slate with uh, USF this weekend and uh, the Mustangs coming off uh, an impressive win over TCU. We talked about that on Monday's pod, or Tuesday's podcast. Uh, we're going to focus primarily on SMU taking on USF, but mainly uh, answering your guys' questions on uh, PonyStampede.com from our subscribers. And so that's where I kind of want to start. SMU, uh, look, I think there are a few things to jump into um, as far as uh, uh, kind of looking at the rest of the season with with a lot of your questions. And that's what I want to start with. I want to start with what are the best best case, worst case, middle case for uh, the total wins for, and, and then the total wins uh, for this football team, at least in my book. Here's my thing, guys. Um, I, I thought over the summer as we did our predictions, our like way too early predictions, I, I thought... SMU would fall to TCU, and then when I did my final predictions on the season, um, I, I said I, I felt SMU was going to beat TCU, and then I carried that into um, the the week going into it as far as um, our predictions and stuck by it and and, and supported it, and, and for the most part, that game played out exactly how I kind of felt. I felt like whoever would win the turnover battle would get the win. SMU had the decided advantage in the quarterbacking perspective of things. Um, one thing I didn't expect was SMU getting after the quarterback as as much as they did, forcing the fumbles. Um, you know, seven seven uh, tackles for loss on the game against a TCU offensive line that was really impressive. And TCU did some things that that you know certainly um, were impressive as well. But I, if, if you're SMU, I think it's natural where this team will falter at some point. I mean, undefeated seasons are just so rare and all of that. But in terms of best case scenario, I mean, undefeated is the best case scenario. And it should be, if you're this team, where you're at right now, that should be your expectation. Now, they take it game by game and all of that. And I could sit back here and, and you know, speculate and, and predict and do all of those things. But I think that's the best case scenario. I, I think with Houston now redshirting Derek King, um, that one gets a heck of a lot easier. Um, to, to play. USF's talented, no doubt, but I think SMU's going to be able to ha- take care of business. Temple's talented, but we saw them you know, fall this past weekend. Um, so I, I think there's, and then there's Memphis and Navy and Tulane. Um, and SMU's taking care of business against Tulane the past two years in kind of dramatic fashion, but they have. Um, they took care of business against Navy in dramatic fashion last year, and I think um, with the defense, the way they they're playing and how athletic SMU is now. I think they should be able to win at Annapolis. The question is, can they beat Memphis? Um, so as far as middle of the road expectations, that would be kind of where I see the jumping off point, which would be losing losing to Memphis and then maybe dropping one to like Temple. You know, you get the, maybe you get the best Temple team coming to Dallas and, and, and you drop that one. So kind of a two-loss conference slate. And then worst case would be, just totally kind of blowing it, losing to Houston, losing to Navy, losing to Memphis, losing to Tulane, ending up below 500 in conference play and not even sniffing a conference title. I don't see that being the case. I just don't think this team is headed in that direction. Um, so I, I think that's kind of where 
things kind of stand. I mean, you should be, if you're watching this team now, you should be expecting the best. That's kind of where the, the level of ex- expectations are, um, at least on from my end of things. But will that happen? We'll just have to see. I mean, it, it's it's so early. Um, but it, looking ahead to this weekend now, um, SMU has to kind of turn the page really quickly and, and get back um, to, to playing the level of football they did against TCU. I think one thing uh, as far as uh, if this game could be a letdown game, uh, from Abe on our board uh, is I, I think the thing you got to hang your hat on is SMU's been so impressive uh, in the first quarter in the early going uh, of games this year that you got to think that um, they'll be able to continue that. I mean, SMU in the first quarter this year um, has has um, outscored opponents 49 to 17 and outgained them 595 to 174 this season in the first quarter in the first half. SMU's outscored opponents 88-43 and outgained them 1,040 to 528. So impressive starts for SMU. The letdown would be not finishing. Um, but right now, everything's kind of saying this team starts really fast. They're ready to go. And I expect the same against USF. And and this is a talented team. And uh, I, in it, for the second straight week, I think Shane Bouchelle is going to want to, you know, have, have another solid game against his former coach and, and coach that recruited him and, um, and 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 brought him to Texas and 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 you know they had some success early on, um, but I think he's going to want to beat him as well. So there's a little bit of that extra ed- element to this game as well. But I see SMU starting fast like they have all year, um, but they've got to carry it through the whole game. But I think they can take care of business against USF. Speaking of Shane Bouchelle and the offense, um, they've been really impressive all year. But how are they doing it? And and that was kind of a question on our board. Is this more of Rhett Lashley's power spread, or is this more of Sonny Dykes' uh, air raid and all of that? And and look, this is the power spread, guys. And 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 Sonny Dykes has certainly has input and in all of that. But I mean, this is Rhett Lashley's offense, and and we're seeing that. I mean, there's not four wide receivers on the field. I mean, unless they're in in long passing down situations, things like that. Um, they have some spread concepts from the air raid. Um, especially when they can, when they go empty and things like that. But I mean, you're, they're using a tight end very well. I might add with Kylan Granson, uh, they're running the football and sticking to it. Um, and that's not to say you can't run the football out of the air raid and most successful air raid attacks have a thousand yard back, but, um, you know, this is very much the, the power spread it's working. Um, and, and like you said, Tex Mustang and, um, this is uh this is how they kind of envisioned this thing looking and and Sonny Dykes kind of touched on that on the AAC teleconference this week. He said, you know, when I looked at offensive coordinators and I brought in Rhett Lashley, the key for me was watching him be able to run the football and be around programs that have ran the football well. And so that's kind of where Sonny Dykes started um, was wanting to run the football, and that comes I think from spending some time under Gary Patterson as well. They run the football well. Um, and, and so, look, uh, that's, uh, that's kind of where it's at. It's, it's power spread. Um, and, and Sonny Dyke certainly has made the right decisions to, to hire Rhett Lashley and, and Kevin Kane as well. Um, but um, one question I was asked on, on SMU's front, if SMU gets to 10 wins in a conference championship, odds that Sonny is in the conversation for National Coach of the Year. I think they've got to win the conference to – um, with maybe one loss on the season for him to truly be in the conversation for national coach of the year. 
I'm pretty sure I'll have to go back and look uh, to see who won National Coach of the Year. But so often that uh, that goes to, I mean, a Dabo Sweeney, a Nick Saban, um, Brian Kelly won it in 2018, and they were, I think, they were undefeated, went to the college football playoff, and lost. But um, I mean, it's it was Scott Frost back in 2017 when UCF was undefeated. So yes, it. Look, I mean, he'll be in the conversation. I bet you he'd be a finalist if they were maybe a one-loss team with a conference championship. Um, but in terms of truly winning it, he'd have to—they'd have to go undefeated. In in my mind, um, kind of rounding out the questions on the team right now, um, the you know four games are up. Where do things kind of stand as far as um, as far as uh, uh, red shirts and things like that go? Um, you know, we've seen Ulysses Bentley. We've seen um, we've seen uh, T.J. McDaniel now. I, I think for some of these guys, they're gonna try to to wait it out a little bit more and see where things kind of stand. Um, we've seen Bentley in I th- think two games, um, and then we've seen McDaniel in in two games as well. Um, and, and so they're gonna have to make a make a decision on them. Um, I, I can see one of them going down the red shirt path. I think it's probably at this point, I think you're more likely to see Bentley, but I don't have a feel for that um, so much. And then on the other side of things, you've seen a lot of guys get action um, in, in that game against Texas State. Uh, Calvin Wiggins saw his first action um, and, and all of those types of guys, Rasheed Rice, um, some of these younger guys. We didn't see uh, Tay Brooks. Um, who I think was nicked up, if I remember correctly, back in fall camp. So I think they're just going to redshirt Tay, which makes sense. I think they're red, going to redshirt Danielson Ek, um, who also didn't play um, against Texas State. And and for those guys, I, I think that makes sense. I mean, they're they're going to uh, they're going to want them to sit and and I mean, God forbid something happens on the offensive line late in the season, they're going to want those guys to have every opportunity to get those red shirts because they need them. Um, you know, overall. So I, I think that's kind of where you see things stand with the true freshmen. Um, from there, you could see them make appearances in conference play late in the season. Again, I think that that's going to kind of be determined by injuries and, and kind of how well they come on late in the year. Um, because, I mean, it's just, you want these guys to redshirt because SMU is going to need um, certainly them to uh, have a good amount of playing time available to them later on in their careers. You're, you're going to be replacing a lot at the receiver position, so I see those guys redshirting. We haven't seen Kiki Burns return uh, since since he played um, against Arkansas State and was hurt, so I think he redshirts at this point. Um, Elijah Chapman's played in two games. I could see him redshirting. Um, and then, so, I mean, they're, they're, a lot of these freshmen will end up redshirting outside of Chase Cromartie. Um, outside of Nelson Paul. I mean, those guys are going to play. And then on the flip side of things, um, two guys specifically I'm asked about uh, who played as true freshmen last year but have barely seen the field this year, Gary Wiley and Travion Johnson. Kind of where where do things stand with those guys? So Gary Wiley was hurt a good bit of fall camp, but he's now played in, in, um, in every game. He's played in all four games. So I think he's going to end up playing um, – you know, consistently, I think he's a special teams guy. I'll have to double check on that. But I mean, the participation chart has him at four games. Maybe they do end up redshirting him. Um, 
And then on the Travion Johnson front, he's kind of been in the doghouse but played in a game. Um, and I know he traveled to TCU because we got pictures of him. Um, and so he played in a game. So I'll kind of see. I think I think he's somebody that ends up redshirting um, for sure. He was in the doghouse this summer. We reported that he was you know suspended um, for for the summer and then ended up you know coming back on the first day of school. So he could redshirt. So he'd be a redshirt sophomore next year. It'd be good for both of those guys to get um, you know redshirts, but. Um, I think Wiley is probably the more likely guy to end up seeing the, the playing time than Johnson. Um, but Johnson could very well redshirt and, and, and kind of figure things out. So um, do want to close out this segment with uh, touching on Houston's uh, plan to redshirt uh, the guys that they have um, uh, with, with Derek King and, and the wide receiver. Um, uh, oh gosh, his name's uh, escaping me right now. Um, let me get it right here. Of course, they don't even put the wide receivers. Keith Corbin, uh, redshirting and then returning for uh, their senior seasons. For me, I think this is just a part of the a roster management by by college football teams. It I, it could happen. I mean, it, it really could. Um, you're going to see that people kind of take advantage of the redshirt rule more and more in different ways. This is one of those ways, and um, Houston certainly not having the season that they thought they would under Dana Holgerson in his first season. So they're kind of out of the national conversation in terms of big time college football teams. So they're going to take their red shirt years and come back next year and give it a go. I'm not so sure that they won't transfer elsewhere. Uh, they say they're coming back. I think that could be more so to kind of save face with their teammates. But um, we all know uh, Lincoln Riley's probably going to come calling in the offseason uh, if he does enter the transfer portal. So that is something uh, to watch with those two. Um, now, on the uh, flip side of that, I, I don't think it's necessarily tanking or anything like that. I just think they want to finish out with uh, with a you know um, with an impressive. Uh, senior year and so they come back that's they're sticking to their guns and that's what they're going to um to do but i don't love it um but it is part of the kind of can, can of worms that that this red shirt rule has opened up um guys are going to do what's best for them um I, I i'm interested to see kind of um you know you never know if, if sunny dykes and and uh, his staff end up doing that for some of these guys. I mean, we'll just have to see. But um, with the way the program is going, most people would, would probably want to return or maybe get another season. But if you're not playing a ton, you could redshirt and get that season back um, and have a chance to raise your NFL stock one more time or what have you. But um, I, I get the rule. This is a part of it. Uh, it's about roster management and things like that. Um, but um, I'm not so sure that they don't end up just transferring anyway. Um, which is a bad look, but is what it is. Um, Derek King is a talented player and will have a chance to raise his draft stock before uh, it's all said and done. So um, with that, I'm going to take a quick break from the Pony Stampede podcast. We're going to come back, talk a little recruiting, and also touch on the out-of-conference basketball schedule for SMU. So we'll be right back with more on the Pony Stampede podcast after this. And welcome back to the Pony Stampede podcast. Thanks for listening. Quick note, uh, was asked about some of the Dallas type of merchandise from SMU's jerseys. And look, those uh, they're working on licensing all that. 
and they hope to be selling all of that soon, uh, was the word from the school. Now, um, as far as the recruiting front, the recruiting impact, we've had a lot of guys sound off. I'm actually putting together one more kind of total recap from the week of uh, guys and, and what they said about SB beating TCU because we had a lot more come in throughout the week. Um, but it was all positive. It puts SMU in, in, in play for a lot of a lot of players that um, you know were maybe on the edge or or this or that. I mean, there's just the 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 positivity I heard from it over this week was was really big time. Now, um, to answer a couple questions on the recruiting front, any transfers or junior college players to look out for next recruiting class, um, or is the staff aiming for more high school recruits? So to, to touch on where things stand, SMU has 10 commitments in the 2020 class. They're trying to hang on to all of them at this point. Um, I haven't heard of anybody that's really kind of being a letdown or anything like that. They feel pretty comfortable with, with all, all of their commitments right now. Um, Aaron Smith is going to be one to watch. He's had a real strong start to his senior year, and they're going to have to you know fight and claw and hang on to him. Um but look, they're they're trying to to round out things with with a mix of high school and junior college players, as always. Dimitri Jordan, the Tyler Junior College offensive lineman, is somebody I've got a crystal ball pick in for, and I like where things stand with him. Jacorian Bennett is another junior college corner. I like where SMU stands with him. Uh, they're continuing to kind of push for him. They've had him on campus already, um, and and he was very impressed with the win over TCU. They're going to try to add a defensive lineman or two from the junior college ranks, as well as Sawyer Gorman, Sawyer Gorham Welch out of Longview, uh, who is impressed with the game um, from what he told me. And, and he's kind of taking things slow on the decision front. Um, and then at wide receiver, they need, they need, you know, impact guys. They've got a hit. They're on Thad Johnson out of Westbrook. They're on Loic Fungi out of uh, Midland Lee, who's a teammate of Carl Taylor and SMU commit. Um, so those are two big names that they've been on hard. There's really not many spots for receivers, one, maybe two in this class. And Loic uh, was potentially about to trend towards Texas, but Texas flipped Troy O'Meara from Texas A&M. And now it, that seems to have helped SMU. Um, and we'll kind of see where things fall with Loic. Uh, Texas Tech is kind of the big challenger there for him. Um, so they do want high school players uh, without a doubt. Um, one junior college wide receiver to watch is Omar Manning. Um, he's a really impressive kid, um, big-bodied guy, and is a uh, you know, former TCU wide receiver. He's at Kilgore College right now. He's, he's leading the country in receiving yards um, right now. Nebraska has the 24-7 sports crystal ball picks in right now, um, picking those up in August. Um, but we'll have to see how things shake out. Um, Sonny Dykes has been in con contact with Manning, and that'll be one to uh, to watch on that front. Now, um, as far as any high-profile recruits SMU missed on that may haven't panned out and want to come back home, to be honest with you guys, I mean, I, I can't begin to track that. I mean, I, you got to watch how players are playing um, from a national perspective, link them back to if they were recruited by SMU, and, and just right now, I just... I just don't have the bandwidth to do that um, for you guys. I wish I could. I don't see, um, I didn't notice anybody that really popped as far as guys that have entered the portal or um, old targets. I mean, I guess Trey Allison is one, but he's at junior college, so he's kind of a traditionally recruited kid. 
Um, so I, I just there's no answer for that. I mean, I'll try to get you know watch things as as they pop up on on the timeline and and all of that. But um, it, it's tough to keep track of old recruits that could potentially maybe transfer um, if their things aren't panning out or if you know scenarios change for them. Uh, it's just it's it's borderline impossible. Um, as far as who SMU's next commitment is. I could see it being Dimitri Jordan, the Tyler Junior College offensive lineman uh, in the 2020 class at least. Um, I do like the momentum SMU's building up with Isaiah and Woko Bia uh, out of Dallas Skyline, um, you know, where, where Rashad Samples went to school uh, or went to high school. And, and then, um, you know, he's been on campus a ton. Um, so we'll kind of have to watch him. Um, as far as the kind of the rest of the things go, um, you know, we'll, we'll just kind of have to see, but, but those are two right now that, that I felt like, you know, things are in a, in, in a pretty good spot for SMU, um, as, as they continue to monitor Jordan, who's a top five offensive guard, uh, in the country out of the junior college ranks. Um, so we'll just kind of have to see where things end up standing with him. So, um, with that, that'll kind of wrap up the recruiting part of the podcast. And now, um, I was asked about the, uh, the wonderful schedule that SMU has put together on the out of conference front, um, in basketball. And, and look, I mean, I'm not going to beat around the bush. I mean, the, I, I can sit, we can sit here and break down Ken Palm numbers or, or do whatever you want in terms of that. But for me, the schedule lacks, lacks pop. Now the, the positive of it is that 2020, 2021, it's going to be fun. I mean, it's going to be fun to have Georgia. It's going to be fun to have Vanderbilt um, and Jerry Stackhouse come to campus. It's going to be um, kind of one of those things where you almost got to take your licks um, to for it to pay off. And um, that's just kind of how the cookie crumbled. Um, but for, you know, from a um, brand name, from an excitement level, I mean, it doesn't bring anything to the table. People know what Georgetown is after last year. Now, the, the, the funny thing is Jacksonville State is, is one of the highest ranked uh, teams in, as far as Ken Palm. But overall, it just doesn't it just doesn't do anything for the common fan. And that's really kind of the issue um, overall. I, I just, you know, North Texas gets Oklahoma to, to come to, to Denton uh, this year. And, and SMU just couldn't get anyone at all uh, outside of an already agreed to home and home with Georgetown um, to kind of round things out. Now, you know, we'll see. I mean, this is, this is a schedule that sets up for them to, you got, if you get your waivers for, let's say they hit on the Kendrick Davis waiver and they don't get Darius McNeil, um, as far as waivers go, I mean, this is going to be a pretty good team. And while you won't have Isaiah JC for much of this out of conference schedule, if you don't end up, you know, going through it, you know, maybe you drop two games. I mean, there, there's problems. I mean, there is. As far as what is being kind of sold and put out as far as this team's improvement, uh, this is a schedule that the expectations need to be uh, no less than two losses on the out-of-conference slate. So um, we'll kind of see how things go with the waivers. Um, if you missed it, SMU got good news on Emmanuel Bandamel. Uh, he'll have three years as a Mustang. He's a three-for-three three kid. Uh, he redshirted his spring at... Uh, Hill College, uh, when he arrived there, he played his one year 
which would be his redshirt freshman year, and now he'll have sophomore, junior, and senior year at SMU. So with that, guys, uh, SMU basketball is underway and as far as practice goes. Uh, they're back on the floor. We're hoping to have a media availability at some point this fall. We'll find out eventually. Um, but as of now, SMU, um, waiting on those waivers, um, certainly uh, has a out-of-conference schedule that is winnable if this team has improved like we're kind of being told, and if they do get the waivers especially. Um, but we'll just have to kind of find out as we go along. So with that, it's going to put a wrap on this week's edition, or this edition of the Pony Stampede podcast. Thanks for listening, guys, and hope you guys have a great rest of the week.